let's open up the word to Romans. And we will be in chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified." Thanks, Nicola. Well, hey, good morning. My name is Nate. Good to be with you this morning. Um, first off, happy Father's Day. Hope all the dads here are going to enjoy the day. Take the one day a year where you can do whatever you want, right? Um, I tried to pull that one last night. I was like, kids, I want to watch the Bucks. Can I watch the Bucks? And so, anyway, it sort of worked. It sort of worked. Well, hey, our passage today, um, it really, it's, it's a dose of realism, um, right before this um, section, Casey finished up last week, but verse 17 in Romans 8 says this, that if our sonship were heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And, and in one way or another, this is what this means. It, it means that if you become a Christian, if you're a Christian, it does not promise you better life circumstances. You know, uh, I, and this is interesting. See, some of us know this in our head, and it still surprises us. I mean, I just, you know, as a pastor, you sit across the table over a cup of coffee and you hear your story, and, and, and you hear stories, or you sit in a hospital room, or you sit um, across the table and you hear what people are walking through and the circumstances they're walking through. And they're a Christian. And I'm surprised at how often that surprises me. It's a dose of, of realism. That the promise in the gospel of forgiveness, of eternal life, does not shield a Christian from suffering. It doesn't promise immunity from stage four cancer or 
fractured churches or rebellious children or racial profiling or global pandemics or unemployment or hunger or infidelity or persecution or death. But this passage doesn't just offer a dose of realism. It, offer, it actually offers us a way through suffering. It offers us a way to handle suffering, a way to face suffering. When Paul says at the end of verse 25 that while we shouldn't be surprised by suffering, he says in the midst of it, we should wait with patience in the midst of it. I don't know about you, but this week on Thursday night, we were driving home from going out to dinner as a family, and we were on the Beltline, and they, they moved it to one lane at like 9 o'clock at night. And that was like 15 more minutes to our trip. And we were waiting. I was in Aldi on like Friday, and I had two, two things in my hand. That's it. And there's like two lanes and people with full carts. And you're, you're trying to do the whole thing where you're like, see how many things I have? Can I, you know, pop in front? And I had to wait, right? But Paul says in the midst of suffering, to wait. To wait with patience. And, and this waiting, it, it, it's this dynamic of, it means to wait with intense pressure. Like suffering is weighty. It means to hold up under this weight. Um, in fact, right now, just to, to be transparent, you know, even it was wonderful to have a meet and greet this morning, right? Um, but we're re-emerging from this dynamic, from this pandemic. But to be quite honest, um, it's been a really weighty season, personally. There is a weight that I wake up each morning with. I don't know how you feel. That's how I feel. But in the midst of this, Paul tells us how we can wait. And I want to just offer three things this morning of what he shows us. Waiting while hoping, waiting while praying, then lastly, waiting while becoming. So let me pray and we'll, we'll get in. Father, uh, just pray this morning um, that you would just meet with us. We would encounter you in your word. And that in the midst of whatever we're walking through, we might know you more. And that might change us, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, waiting while hoping, you know, what you believe about your future actually changes the present. Did you know that? What you believe about your future changes the present. So let me give you an example. Years ago, we were taking our kids biking, and they were younger. It was one of those things, right? They're on smaller bikes, and we were going to go on a 3.7-mile bike ride to a destination, and then we were going to come back. So, I mean, over seven miles, which is a lot for those little legs. But the reason why we could make it is because the destination was chocolate shop. <laughs> That's how we were able to get in there all the way. And right, I mean, the little legs are going a mile in, two miles in, and it's hurting, and it's like whatever, but it was like Superman ice cream is, is there. And they made it. Now, the, the trip home was hard, right? Because the ice cream was gone. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I don't think we ever went back and did that again, because it was kind of like, is that worth it? It was, it was a close one. But you, what, what you believe about your future changes the present. But put it this way, think about this. Two men get sentenced to prison for 10 years. 
First, I mean, same circumstances, same situation. First one goes in and he finds out, hey, when you're done after 10 years, your wife and child will be waiting for you. In year two, the second one gets a letter from his wife and, and kid, and they tell him, we can't wait any longer. We will not be there when you get out. Think about that. They're waking up in the same circumstances, same day, but because of what is expected on the flip side, that changes everything. And see, that's why what Paul says in verse 18, as he begins this passage, is so significant. He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says this, if you, could, if you could weigh suffering on a scale with the future hope of what's coming, that that suffering, as one commentator would say, would be as light as air. It would be like a feather. It would be like nothing. And Paul is not this like, you know, like high school diva who has grown up in a bubble and gets a latte every morning and doesn't know what suffering is. I mean, Paul knows what suffering is. He's not making light of suffering. We'll see later in Romans 12, he'll say, mourn with those who mourn. But what he's showing us is that the future hope and its glory, if we could sense it, if we could know it, and we could consider it, if we could compare it to the amount of suffering we face in this life, no one will ever say when they get there that that was not worth it. It would be as like light as air. So what is the future hope? What is this future hope, if we were to think about it and know it and imagine it, that would make this present moment help us to endure? And that's in verses 19 through 23. Listen to what Paul says. He writes, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's a lot there, but but listen for a moment here. This future hope is not an ethereal, disembodied spiritual realm. It is the stuff of dirt and shorelines and mountains and bare feet. When it says the creation was subjected to bondage, it's going back to the story in Genesis 3. When because of the fall of Adam and Eve, God cursed the ground. In other words, things break down. Entropy is real. The universe is winding down. And it all goes back to that day because of sin. But there is a moment coming in which that will be no longer. You know, um, Martin Luther, and people kind of aren't sure if he said this or not, but it's worth saying. They, they asked him, they said, you know, if, if you knew the moment that Jesus was returning and would make everything new, this like Revelation 21 picture, what would you do the day before? And you know what he said? He said he'd plant a tree. 
Because it's, it's a gritty hope that's in the created world. Listen, it means that when you get a text from your friend the morning you're supposed to go out and play 18 holes of golf and they have to cancel because of back problems, I'm not saying it's anybody here, okay? That, 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 that's on borrowed time. That that day is coming when that won't be an issue. It means that right now, if you're between the ages of 22 and 27, did you know like that's, that's the best place your brain will be? Okay? Which means if you're younger than 22, you got some good days coming. If you're like me, it's past. <laughs> but, but check this. That means the future hope. What does that mean? Even though my good days are past, it means there's actually something better coming. It means, as one preacher told a bunch of younger preachers, they're going to put you in a box and put the box in the ground and throw dirt on your face and then go back and eat potato salad. It means preacher or not, even death is not the end. The redemption of our bodies. And all of this hope is teeming with this language of of sonship. It's all teeming around this event of the revealing of the sons of God, the glory of the children of God. It's this waiting eagerly. And it's interesting, commentators know they aren't completely sure what it means for the sons of God to be revealed, but all they can say is that the glory coming is so blindingly powerful that when it falls, it will envelop the whole created order and glorify it along with his children. I love perhaps how um, C.S. Lewis captured it best when he said this, God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom as love as we cannot now imagine. What a hope. Um, in other words, the, the Christian hope, is one other put it, it's not escape from this world, it's actually the transformation of it. See, what you, what you and I believe about your future changes the present. And Paul is, in these moments, he's trying to work it out for us. He's trying to show us this is the hope you have in Christ, in the gospel. Work this out in the midst of your suffering. That will enable you, right? It's better than Superman ice cream at the end of a, of a, of a bike ride, right? That will enable your little legs to pedal and endure, to work it out. <laughs> but not only that, wait while praying. Look at verses 26 and 27. Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In the midst of suffering, Oftentimes, you do not know what to pray for. Um, Sometimes you don't know if what you ask is even what's best for you. You know, maybe it's making a really big decision. 
Uh, or maybe it's dealing with your own failings or flaws that are brought on by what you chose and what you did. You're not sure how to pray. And that's the weakness here that verse 26 is talking about, not knowing what to pray. But notice what, 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 what the promise is here, that, that the Holy Spirit intercedes. The Holy Spirit actually prays for the children of God. Think about that for a moment. And that the Spirit of God knows what to pray because the Spirit knows the will of God. In the midst of our weakness, in the midst of suffering, as we're pedaling and walking forward in the midst of it, this promise, the Spirit of God is interceding. You know, um, again, to be transparent for a moment, particularly in this season, I've oftentimes not known what to pray for. I know some things to pray for, but I find this tremendously encouraging. Some of you may know this. I get a text every Sunday from my mom before I get up to preach that she's praying for me. You know how much that means? It means a ton. Someone praying for you. You know what it's like when people pray for you and they they mean it, like they are interceding for you? See, if you're a Christian, do you understand the Holy Spirit the, th- the third person of the Trinity is interceding for you in the midst of your suffering to help you, in the midst of the pressure to help you wait patiently. But then lastly, waiting while becoming. Well, look at verses 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know, this is one of the most profound promises for a Christian. It's also one of the most misunderstood. Um, when Paul says all things work together for good, <clears throat> hear this, he is not saying that all things that happen to you are therefore good. You need to know that. Like when Jesus rolled up at Lazarus' tomb in John 11, it says that he was deeply moved, and a better translation would say that he snorted with anger. That's what the word means. In other words, he's looking at the death of his friend, and he knows he's going to raise him, by the way. That'll happen in a moment. But he's angry at death. This is not good. When Paul says all things work together for good, he is not saying also that there's a silver lining to everything. Listen, Paul is not saying that, you know, there's better life circumstances around the corner. Like, let's put it this way. Like, like, like let's say you didn't get into grad school that you want to get into. Well, then I'll just claim this promise and I'm sure I'm going to get into a better school next. It's not what this is saying. Or it could be, you know, I really wanted to marry this person, but that didn't work out, so there's probably a better person around the corner. Now, that might be the case. But that's not what this verse is promising. To understand the good, you have to understand how it's tied to verse 29 because they're tied together. And here's the good. The promise is to make you more like Christ. 
He's not promising better life circumstances. He's promising you that in the midst of your suffering, it can be used to actually make you more like Christ. That's the good. In other words, God's purpose in suffering is to take his children, who are oftentimes self-reliant and prideful, and I'm speaking about myself, who lack compassion for others, and he's wanting to make them into mature lovers of others, noble and true and good and wise and strong and courageous and joyful as Christ is. And let's be honest, we all want transformation without hardship, right? We'd all like to roll up and be different without the hard stuff, but right, we, we all know how diamonds are made. You know how diamonds are made, right? It's, it's millions of years with intense pressure and temperature. That's what makes them so beautiful. I mean, think back for a moment to the story of Joseph. Remember that story? You know, he's this favorite child. The, the family dynamics are amazing, right? There's this jealousy. He's prideful. And then the brothers sell him into slavery. He's, he's in a house as a house manager serving Potiphar. Potiphar's wife comes on to him. He rightfully rejects her. And then she slanders him, lies, says that he came on to her. And then he gets sent to prison. I mean, life is going horrible for him. And then he's in, he's in jail. He's in prison. He's running that show. And then two guys show up. He interprets dreams. One of them gets killed. The other gets to go back to Pharaoh. He forgets about Joseph. He's still in prison for two more years, languishing there. This is not a fun road. Circumstances are not getting better. And yet all of a sudden he gets called in because Pharaoh had a dream and he interprets it. And then he becomes second in place. But in the end, do you know what happens to him? His character is completely transformed. When his brothers roll in to get food because they're in a famine. And they recognize him. And I mean, it's, it's a lot of chapters, but in the end, this is what happens. In Genesis 50, 20, he says this, As for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do, Joseph, through his beginning pride and self-centeredness is actually transformed into a vessel that is used to save many lives in the midst of a famine and in the end forgives those that betrayed him. By the way, does that sound like anybody? <laughs> Let me just put it this way. Where's hardship in your life right now? Where's the groaning that this text talks about? And you know what? Maybe there's not any today for you. That's fine. But as it comes, here, here's the part. Don't waste it. Do, do you understand that? It's one of the things that's been so helpful. When I wake up in the morning and there's this intense pressure to understand that, that this, is, this, is not, this is not lack of purpose. There's a purpose in this. That he's wanting to grow you into someone of depth and character and conformity to Jesus. So how 
can Paul say this? How can he know that everything can be worked out for good for those who love him? How can he know this? The key is in verses 29 through 30. Let me reread 29 and go into 30 here. Paul says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Theologians call this the unbreakable chain. There are five active verbs, all in the past tense, all with God as the subject in the acting. The first one, let's go roll through them briefly here, is to for, for new. And that word can mean a couple things. It could mean to know beforehand some information before it happens, but it can also mean to know someone relationally. For example, in Matthew 7.23, Jesus says to some who come to him, I never knew you. And it doesn't mean he doesn't know their information. He knows them. He means, I don't have a relationship with you. And right here in this passage, it's talking about knowing someone relationally. In other words, here's what it is. If you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ, Paul's giving you a window into eternity. And he's saying this, before you ever chose him, he set his love on you. Before you ever knew him, he knew you. Predestined. It means to set a destination. Imagine just clicking up your, your Uber app and saying, you know, where, where do you want to go? You're setting your destination. And 829 is saying, here's the destination that God has set for you if you're his. It's to be like his son. That's the destination. That's the goal. It's set. It's going to happen. The word called. John 10, Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice. Here's the point. If you've heard the gospel, this good news about Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, you've put your trust in him, the reason the lights have gone on is because God has done a work in your heart to turn them on. My sheep hear my voice. There's an effectual calling that turns the lights on. It's a miracle if you're a Christian. God has done a work. And here's the point. If you're not a Christian, I was just say this. Even if you're leaning in a little bit, that's the evidence that God's at work. Because that does, that's not normal. It's not normal. Even if you've grown up in a house where you go to church every Sunday, I just want you to know this. It's not normal to have a heart that longs to know God, that, that hears that call. You've got to know it. That's a miracle. That's God at work in your life. Justified. We cover this in chapters 3 to 5, but it means to de le declare legally righteous and blameless because of Christ's work on the cross and then lastly glorified. That's the future. It means to have sin completely eradicated, perfect in body and soul. And here's what's interesting. It's in the past tense. In other words, it's as good as done. Even though it's future, it's as good as done. So NBA playoff time. You know, um, great, the Bucks won. Wonderful. Okay. But you know someone's a really great player when they can do whatever they want on the court, right? So um, there's a story of, about Michael Jordan. Um, Shaquille O'Neal was telling the story. It was, it was when he was with the Magic, okay? So he's talking about how Michael Jordan was being guarded by Nick Anderson of the Rhino Magic. And he told Nick Anderson this. Michael Jordan said, Nick Anderson, I'm coming down. I'm going to dribble it between my legs twice. I'm going to pump fake. And then I'm going to shoot a jumper. And then I'm going to look at you. And that's exactly what he did. 
That's how you know you're great, right? Because it doesn't matter what the opponent does. I got you. You understand, this is, this is what Paul is saying here. In the, in the history of salvation, this is what God is telling you. This is what I've done. This is what I will do. This is what I'm going to do. It's done. And listen, we, we're not going to like talk about predestination or those things today in, in, in line of like who's in, who's out, all this stuff. That's not the point. The point right here Paul is trying to make is to comfort you, to assure you. So why? So that you can patiently wait in the midst of suffering to assure you that the destination is set, that you're his, that he's called you, that you're righteous in his sight, that the day of sin being completely eradicated from your mind, body, and soul, like that day is coming and it's as good as done, past tense. Well, I know um, in the midst of all this, many of you are tired Maybe even some confused in your circumstances right now. And I imagine some of you might be even willing to say, like, I'm just, I just want to give up. Life's hard right now. What do you do now? So, I'll close with this. Brittany Howard, she's a lead singer of the band Alabama Shakes. And at the age of nine, she lost her older sister to cancer. At the age of 10, lightning struck her house and burned it to the ground. At age 11, her parents get divorced. How's that for a three-year window? But during one of the shows in the early days, Bernie jumped up and improvised some lyrics about how frustrated she was with her circumstances. And it starts, bless my heart, bless my soul. I didn't think I'd make it to be 22 years old. She begins to catalog all of her pain and suffering. And this was the coming out song. And those lyrics were the ones that became the hit single, Hold On. It, it says this, There must be someone up above saying, Come on, Brittany, you've got to come on up. You've got to hold on. Hey, you've got to hold on. Yeah, you've got to wait. Yeah, you've got to wait. But I don't want to wait. No, I don't want to wait. You've got to hold on. Listen, if you're not a Christian this morning, it's one of my mentors would say this, like, if there's no one up there saying, come on up, then wouldn't all of our suffering and waiting just be useless, pointless, amount to nothing? What's the big deal? But here's the hope. If there is a resurrection, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, it's the ground of this text, that means that you have a hope that's available not only in the life to come, but also right here in the present. And it means this, today you bring your pain, your circumstances to the one who has suffered with you and for you, and you hold on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Help us to hold on. Help us in the midst of whatever we are walking through, individually or collectively, to hold on to you, to wait with patience. We give you thanks for the hope that is to come. We give you thanks for the help of your spirit interceding. We give you thanks even now that 
you are forming us into the image of your Son. We give you thanks for all these things. Amen.